You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Welcome to the Well-Fed Women podcast. This is episode number 341. I am your host, Noelle Tarr. My website is coconutsandkettlebells.com. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, a certified personal trainer, and today I'm going to be talking with my dear friend, Dr. Heather Rhodes, about a very popular topic that many of you have questions about, and that is how to heal hormone and period problems holistically. I've had some pretty substantial and just amazing interviews about periods and balancing hormones and even PCOS. I've done a whole episode on that. But the thing is that these issues and hormone issues in general, you just can't accurately and sufficiently cover in under an hour. So we didn't really even scratch the surface. We created a great foundation. Um, but for that reason, today I really want to focus more on all of your questions so that we can really hone in on how this information applies to your life and we can discuss actionable steps for solving period problems and fertility problems with Dr. Heather Rhodes. Before we dive in, um, I just want to thank Blue Blocks for being such an amazing supporter of this podcast for so long. And I'm I'm just so thankful for not only their support, but just all of my my blue blocking products. I I just I think it's it's definitely the best thing that I have personally done for my sleep and circadian rhythms, especially postpartum. Um, I love my blue blocking night glasses and and my daytime glasses that I use to look at the computer. And even now we're kind of decked out with uh, our red light bulbs everywhere. So we have it in our nightstands. And I just, I've really struggled personally with getting my like circadian rhythms back like on a normal cycle after kids because kids just disrupt your life, but they also add the serious stress to, you know, your nighttime sleep cycle. And really, since having Maverick, I've had to take melatonin pretty regularly to get back on track and to fall asleep quickly. And now that we've really brought in those nightstand lights, um, which they're like red bulbs from Blue Blocks, and I use the Blue Blocks red light reading clip, which is a new thing they just came out with. I got that immediately, which has been awesome. I fall asleep quickly, um, and I've been able to completely stop the melatonin before bedtime, which was always the goal, but it's just really nice to have that all work out. And anytime you're looking at screens, whether it's the computer or your phone, you should be wearing blue light blocking glasses. The blue blocks computer glasses filter filter out that harsh blue light we experience when we're looking at screens. They're clear. They don't have a color and they're really attractive. (laughs) I like them. I think the, the glasses are really great. And um, I personally really struggle with eye strain and just overstimulation, so that's made a huge difference in my life, too. They also have an incredible sleep mask that blocks out all the blue light. Check out the Remedy Light, which is the one I have. All of their red light products, so the Lumi light bulbs, the red light reading clip, and then their their blue light blocking glasses, they block out all the light from 450 to 500 nanometers, which is 
basically the range that has been shown in clinical trials to disrupt melatonin and negatively impact our sleep. To get our 15% discount, go to Blue Blocks, so that's B-L-U-B-L-O-X, dot com forward slash wellfed and then use our code wellfed at checkout again it's blue blocks b-l-u-b-l-o-x dot com forward slash wellfed and our our discount code is wellfed for 15 percent off now let's chat with heather dr heather rhodes is a certified holistic practitioner and a clinical pharmacist with a background in metabolic and chronic disease management her passion for women's health led her to pursue a career helping women understand the power of supporting their hormones in simple and practical ways her natural approach to healing creates lasting results and symptom relief specifically for pcos pms acne and fertility she's a crossfit instructor ice cream addict toddler mom and adoption advocate welcome heather Thanks, Noelle. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I have to know. What's your favorite ice cream flavor? Oh my gosh, this is... (laughs) So, does Chick-fil-A ice cream count as a flavor? (laughs) Wait, what is it called? Chick-fil-A. They're ice creams. I don't know about these. I don't obviously don't go to Chick-fil-A ice creams. Ice, yeah, it's just like the ice cream that Chick-fil-A has. They just call it Ice Dream. Oh, I'm um, seeing this. Okay. Yes. But I would say <laughs> lately that has been like my kick. I'll go, <laughs> we don't like eat at Chick-fil-A, but we'll go through the drive-thru. This is so random. And I mean, we, we eat sometimes, but we'll get like a, a drink cup filled with ice cream and I eat it for like two weeks and then I go back and get more. <laughs> That's very smart. Yeah, that's so, amazing. I'd say that's my abnormal answer. My normal answer is probably like a mint chocolate chip is usually my favorite. Nice. We're team mint chocolate chip. I hated that growing yeah. up, but now I love it. I love the combo. I do too. Um, so growing up, we always did like Hardee's. I don't, this is so, does, do you remember <laughs> Hardee's? <laughs> yes. So Hardee's, they're like roast beef sandwiches, right? But for some reason, my mom, that was like the best frozen yogurt ice cream to her, even though like most people went to McDonald's, right, to get their frozen ice cream cone. And then McDonald's did those like, bl- were they, they're not blizzards, that was Dairy Queen. What were they called? There was something. Yeah, I can't flurries. Yes, flurries. <laughs> they did those McFlurries for a while too. But for some reason, we always went to Hardee's and it was like, did you want, do you want vanilla, chocolate or twist, you know? So, um, gosh, ice dream. That's like, I guess that's generation, the next generation's, um, Hardee's cones. Yeah. Man. Yeah. And I can say just a quick, funny story about this. I had been doing this. I sent my husband and he was like, okay, I'm going to get an ice cream. I was like, no, no, no. Like you're getting it in a drink cup and you're going to get the right amount because it's got to last us. And then I kid you not, my dad came to help us move. And he's like, you know what I've been doing lately? I've been going to Chick-fil-A and getting these cups filled with ice cream. (laughs) My husband just stopped in his tracks and was like, is this real life? Like, are you serious right now? (laughs) That's adorable. So funny. <laughs> Cute. Okay. Uh, now that we've got the important stuff out of the way, uh, talk to me about, we're going to jump into a lot of questions today, but I, I do want to create a good foundation before we jump into like fixing hormone imbalances and period problems. And then we're going to talk specifically too about PCOS. But I want to know about your own personal experience with infertility and why you shifted from 
pharmacy school to life as a practitioner, uh, helping women balance hormones naturally. Kind of from like, you know, it almost seems like you did this 180. So talk to me about that. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I went to pharmacy school. Afterwards, I worked in the doctor's offices in a residency managing things like diabetes and high blood pressure and and all of that stuff. And, and my job was really to help patients feel better, get better, et cetera. But it was to manage their medicines and their insulin levels and stuff like that. And what I started realizing was we weren't ever really giving them a way out. We were just consistently adjusting and changing. And typically, most people were just getting more and more meds added <clears throat> the longer we went through you know, the traditional pathways. But the caveat that I don't think I realized until I started working in doctor's offices and with the general public a lot was that most people want to actually do the things that will make them feel better. Most people want to get off of medications and be taking less. Um, And I just think our healthcare system is just kind of set up in a way where if you are one of those people, it's kind of hard to get the help you need and the steps you need and the education you need. Um, And so that kind of started like, piquing my interest of like, well, how can I start like doing things differently and really helping these people and, and, you know, not just looking at their insulin and changing the dose every time it gets their blood sugar gets too high. And so, um, I went on for a while doing that. I worked in a traditional pharmacy. I actually, in the very beginning of my career, worked in a hormone replacement therapy, compounding pharmacy. And I remember my first day being like, hormones are too confusing. I will never like be good at this. (laughs) And like, it's just so funny to think about now because I had no interest in women's health or hormones at all. Um, and then of course life happened and we started trying to conceive and it just wasn't happening. And at the time I didn't really understand what was going on, but I had hypothalamic amenorrhea. I had been over training, over exercising, under eating body dysmorphia, all of that stuff. And I went through the system as a patient, multiple doctors just consistently telling me, lose weight, go on a diet, try this, try that. And like, no one was actually helping me. So it was once I was sitting in that patient's chair of like, Hey, I want to get better. I want to do the things like there's got to be something more that I can be doing. Like, I trust my body has to be able to do, you know, this thing it's designed to do. And I just wasn't getting help at all. And I was actually getting advice that like really was triggering and frustrating for me. So I decided, I just remember leaving the doctor one day and being like, that's it. I'm doing this for myself. Like I'm figuring this out. I have a degree. I know how to read clinical trials. Like let's do this. Um, and it took me down this whole journey of really exploring natural health and how our body's designed and how we can take what I learned in pharmacy school about what medications do and how the body works and apply it to, okay, well, if this is how the body works, what if I go a level deeper? Like, what is that medication actually doing and how can I do that utilizing things like food or nutrition or, you know, movement? Um, And then I started realizing I cannot let other women that don't have this background in medicine, this background in clinical trials, go through this system feeling the way I felt. Um, and I think that's so many of our stories, right? Like we go through something and then we realize there's another side and we, we, we kind of have breakthrough and we feel like, oh my gosh, everybody who's still on that other side, I want to like reach out to you and say like, take my hand, let me pull you over and show you what it can be like. Um, 
so yeah, that's kind of the long version. <laughs> um, but that really was what sparked it for me was was having to be the patient and realize that there's other ways. And the difference in how I felt once I started really focusing on like natural, you know, healing and holistically tackling these issues I was having with my period and my fertility and my body in general. I had symptoms that I just assumed were normal, completely disappear. And I was like, you mean I've been living my whole life thinking this was just me. This is just how I was born. These were just the cards I was dealt. And it didn't have to be like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty profound. And I think it is. It's just amazing how when something becomes important to us, it it's sort mm-hmm. of we we can grow with that and and help other people. So, yeah. you know, I, I wouldn't have started this podcast if I didn't have my own rock bottom moments of, you know, hating my body and not having a period and um, just feeling stuck, you know, feeling like I was never going to be happy and that I was just always going to be stuck in this cycle of shame and guilt and over exercising and under eating and having, you know, all this chronic pain. And from that, you know, f- dealing with my these issues myself, I've been able to see the other side and and now I kind of think back on it and I'm like if I had if I had just been somewhere in the middle and not been like dealt with the struggles like you dealt with you know infertility that's not easy yeah. to deal with right that's really heavy stuff but it's dealing with obviously God uses us in amazing ways to then turn that around and help other people but also sometimes being pushed to our limits all the way to like we're like what now allows us to see like you said that other side of the story where we've been told one narrative for so long and then we can say oh wow there are other options and maybe I I would have given this a try had I not you know hit rock bottom and and you know come to this knowledge so Um, I think that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so full circle because I can remember actually during like the depths of my like overtraining body dysmorphia, all of that, your podcast, when it was called paleo women podcast, Mm -hmm. um, was actually such a huge thing that I held on to because every time I would, you know, feel or be like bombarded with messages from diet culture of just do keto, just do intermittent fasting. Like these are the ways that you can eat more and fix your hormones, but still lose weight. Like those things just flood you and you have to go back to the people that are doing the work, like your podcast of saying like, Hey, but what if like your weight just didn't matter? Or what if your body could literally, you could just trust it will weigh what it needs to weigh to allow you to feel your best. And then it will normalize if it needs to normalize or it'll stay where it needs to stay. Like those were just mind blowing concepts at the time. Um, and, and I can just remember feeling like, like begging God to like take that struggle away from me. Like, I don't want to care about my weight. I don't want to care about my body. Like this is so terrible. Why am I struggling with this? I I had binge eating disorder too. And, and now it has been such a proponent of how I can help and serve other women that I'm so grateful for which is actually the same thing I can say about our fertility journey too. Um, Mm which I remember in the depths of it, I would have done anything to not have had that be our journey or our story. And now I'm so grateful for it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So speaking of, uh, let's dive right into period problems, specifically how hormones impact the presence of, or like the length of 
or just symptoms associated with their cycle. So what are some some of the general signs of hormone imbalances? I know you mentioned, too, you had a lot of symptoms that you just thought were, oh, I should just have to live this way, or this is just a part of life. And then you're like, that didn't have to be a part of my life. So if people aren't really sure, like, do is this because of hormones or not? What are some common general signs of hormone imbalances? Yeah, and I know this absolutely. is like, a, this could be a whole podcast. So I appreciate you answering this. No, well, I mean, I, I definitely will start with the ones that for me felt normal. So I felt like it was really normal to have super heavy cramps every month. Um, I thought it was really normal to need to just pop ibuprofen the whole time during my period. I had really bad chin and jawline acne, which again, I just thought was the cards I was dealt. Um, and like my, my skin kind of always bothered me, but I didn't know that there was ever anything I could do about it. Um, same things with cravings. I thought I was someone that just like genetically loved sugar or sweets. Um, and, and just had these really like intense cravings typically all month, but they would get really bad right before my period. And then the mood swings. Um, I can remember again, just thinking like, I don't have any patience or I just have so much anger built up and thinking it was such a like, issue with me personally, like who I was as a person that I would kind of like fly off the handle, typically the day or two days before my period would show up. And then it started getting to the point where like, it was really severe where I was doing things that felt really out of character. Like I tell this story, I'll never forget. I picked it. I was in mad at my husband about something and I picked a chair up over my head and threw it like across the room. And I mean, he laughed because he was like, what <laughs> in the world is happening right now? <laughs> yeah. And, um, oh, and, I, and that was really a triggering moment for me because I thought like, huh, you're not an aggressive person. You've never like punched anything in your life. And here you are like throwing chairs at people. Um, and sure enough, my period came the very next day. And I had another incident where I think I like, I don't know, kicked a wall or something stupid that again, it hit me. And I was like, what is going on with you? And sure enough, my period started the very next day. The visual um, is really hard to imagine you like kicking the wall <laughs> because you're just not that person, you know? Exactly. <laughs> or just like throwing oh, a God. chair and your husband looking and being like, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the best part about the chair story is that the chair, I didn't want to hurt like the house. So I, I went through this whole thought process while throwing the chair, right? And I was like, I don't really want to hurt him. I don't really want to hurt the, the, the house. Let me throw it at the couch. So I threw it at the couch. It hit the couch and like rolled and landed perfectly straight up. Like it would, like, an, like someone just placed the chair there. And Noelle, he started laughing. And I, like I had a, I, I like grabbed like a plate, like a plastic plate and tried to break. I was so mad when he started laughing at me. And then like, I just had to walk out, out of the house. And I was like, I don't even know what to do right now. <laughs> It just didn't work. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Um, But yeah, so those are things I would say probably aren't normal. Um, (laughs) They were the big symptoms that, that triggered it for me. But something that I think is really important for women to remember specifically is that almost any symptom that we experience, almost anything that feels, and a lot of times we know because we have those like intuition, gut feelings, and we know our bodies, we've lived in them for a long time. Um, anytime we're kind of experiencing something that feels like this is a little out of, 
out of out of character. This is a little bit um, abnormal. This isn't something I'm used to experiencing. In some way, almost all of those are linked to our hormones. And that's because as women, I think we aren't taught enough about our core design and function. And our bodies function with three purposes. And that's really it. Our body wants to keep our heart beating and keep us alive. It wants to reproduce and it wants to figure out what are the patterns that we, what are the inputs and the patterns and signals that it gets every day so that it can run as efficiently as possible. And so when we come at this perspective of understanding that whether you want to get pregnant or not, your body is always, always, always focused on your reproductive system. Does it need to do more or less work? What does it need to do? How does it need to be functioning? It really helps us to understand how much things like our estrogen and progesterone and female hormones are basically impacting all of these other areas like our skin and our mood and um, our energy levels and our thyroid function and our gut health. And so a lot of times when someone says that's why it feels like such a big question of, well, what are general signs of hormone imbalances? When you're a female, almost anything goes back to some type of interaction with that female reproductive system. Yeah. You, you posted something on your Instagram last week, which is was it last week? I'm not sure. But it was definitely recently about stop eating this right now to balance your hormones. And I'll let you give that answer. But we, ha- we have a lot of women who are following specific protocols or diets. Maybe they, um, <laughs> they, they've, they're struggling with a set of symptoms. They do some Googling or they find some influencer that told them they should start fasting or they should start eating keto or they should start, you know, restricting A, B and C thing to fix their their hormone in- imbalances. So how do you know what diet is going to be right for you and and fix your hormone imbalances? Yeah, I think that's such a good question because, well, first of all, let me answer what my Instagram said. So I, I posted, stop eating this right now to balance your hormones. And you go to the next slide and it's like, just kidding. There's nothing. <laughs> there's not a one size fits all. And I think there's two pieces as to why this happens. The first is that, Nutrition alone doesn't fix your hormone imbalances. Hormone imbalances, like I said, they're influenced by so many different systems that you could be on the perfect hormone-friendly diet, but if you still don't know how to manage your stress or your stress hormones are super high and crazy and calling the shots, your nutrition, you're not even going to be able to utilize and experience a lot of the benefits from that you know, protocol or diet that you're following to a T. Um, The other thing to remember about, you know, how do we, is there a diet specifically to fix our imbalances is that a lot of times we look for, if I do X, Y, Z, then X, Y, Z will happen. So we think it's a very like cause and effect type of relationship. And it is in some regard, but a lot of times what's more important to actually overcome imbalance is consistency. And so if we're choosing these diets or these protocols or, you know, these, um, you know, ways of eating that we know don't work with us and that will be kind of hard to sustain past 30, 60, 90 days, then we can actually be setting ourselves up to experience more imbalance because I always say that consistency and sustainability in whatever you're doing is going to give you more benefits in the long run than whatever someone promises you those short-term things are. And this is why we see that things, you know, 
like keto potentially like sure when you you eat keto we can see changes in hormone regulation in terms of insulin and blood sugar because we've taken out you know sources of sugar and carbs but how is that setting your body up long term do you plan on doing keto the rest of your life and is keto itself fixing that hormone imbalance well no it's just kind of like putting a little band-aid over one area until basically the symptom or the injury is so bad that it pops that band-aid off and now you're almost in a worse place than you were before um, and we see that happen a lot with diets especially diets that claim to fix the hormones so what i tell people instead is what if we look at supporting your hormones and how your nutrition can do that alongside other habits like your stress management like your um you know just basic physiological needs like sleeping and electrolyte and mineral replacement and exercise strategy and all of that so that your hormones are in a place where they're functioning well your body's in a place where it's functioning well your metabolism is functioning well and then if you have a separate goal that may involve like <clears throat> changing up the way you're eating or you know, maybe you decide like, hey, I'm going to tighten things up a little bit, or I'm going to experiment with Whole30 or something like that. You're in a place where you're not doing the diet to heal the problem. The problem's healed. You're doing the diet to experiment. What are the results and how does your body respond to it? If you want to reduce stress and fatigue, improve cellular function and nourish your endocrine system, including your adrenals and your thyroid gland, look no further than red light therapy. It does all of this within a matter of minutes. Red light therapy is one of the most effective health modalities you can do with a device in your own home. It's helped improve my sleep, reduce fatigue and headaches, and it's incredible for reducing inflammation and stress because studies show it stimulates energy production in the body by improving mitochondrial function. It literally improves how your cells function. Red light therapy, like most things, has to be in a specific sweet spot to deliver therapeutic benefits. Things like wavelength, density, and dosage have to be in balance. Anything outside of that sweet spot will be less effective, which is why some people buy red light therapy devices on Amazon or wherever and don't see results. Juve, that's J-O-O-V-V, is the leading brand when it comes to effective and safe red light therapy. They optimize all the variables needed to hit that therapeutic window. What I love about Juve is that it delivers clinical benefits within minutes and by using scientifically proven wavelengths, so that 660 nanometers and 850 nanometers or a combination of both, this ensures Juve's products offer the, some of those therapeutic values that we see in all that red light therapy research and literature. As of today, Juve has launched their next generation of devices and they've made huge upgrades to what was already the best red light therapy systems on the market. Juve's new devices are sleeker, they're lighter, and they've intensified their coverage area. Plus, they have some really cool new features like recovery mode for post-workout and then an ambient mode for like a calmer, lower, lower intensity of light at night to support circadian rhythm functions. Um, if you're looking for a new Juve device for your home or or you're, you want to invest in one, which I highly recommend, go to juve.com slash wellfed. That's J-O-O-V-V dot com forward slash wellfed. And then use our code wellfed for a discount that's exclusive to us. It's a percentage off, so I would jump on it. Again, that's juve.com slash wellfed.
I, I know you hear this all the time. Said person goes to the doctor because they have hormone issue, you know, X. And the doctor solution is for them to lose weight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. What do you say to that? You know, if if people are thinking, oh, well, it's just because I need to lose. Like, I think that that's just a normal assumption among women is like, well, I have this issue because I need to lose weight. Yeah. It, it, what do you do? You hear that a lot in your practice. And what's what do you say to that? Yeah, all the time. Um, and that was actually even a part of my story where I had been like going to counseling and healing my disordered eating and body dysmorphia. And the doctor literally told me, I bet if you did keto, you'd lose five pounds and get pregnant. Mm. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like I've actually, you know, been really self-conscious that I gained weight because I actually started eating again. Um, And Mm. so, yeah, it's so triggering and it can be so difficult to navigate, but I really like to explain, you know, this in a couple of ways to women. The first being that the weight itself is not the problem. And that is something that it takes so much unlearning because we are taught from such a young age that weight is a problem, that weight is a reflection of morality and choices and behaviors. And we just apply so many social constructs to weight where in actuality, if your body truly has excess weight, um, if there is weight that is, you know, come on from a deeper problem, that's exactly what it is. It's a symptom. The deeper issue is what you need to tackle if you ever want to fix the weight. Going after the weight, I mean, it's, it's, I'm trying to think of like an analogy here, but essentially, I mean, it's like if you went to the doctor and they're like, well, you have a broken bone, but you know, we should really work on cutting your fingernails right now. Like what? You're like, okay, Mm -hmm. but what's that going to do? Like, it's not going to do anything for your broken elbow. So I think that's a a good thing to, to remember is that usually once your body is healed and when hormones are functioning well, metabolism is functioning well. And your body knows it doesn't want extra weight. It doesn't want to have, you know, an ex like things that make it harder for it to do what it needs to do. So if it's there, it's a signal. It's a signal from your body that's saying like, hey, something is disrupted. And in order to keep you safe and alive from this disruption, we need to change the way we're storing and accumulating fat. And that's simply what's happening. And so if we go to, okay, well, what is the disruption and the dysfunction? And we can start addressing and healing that. Usually the weight kind of fixes itself and it regulates. And a good thing that I I help people remember too, is the difference between truly excess and extra weight and vanity weight. Because I think a lot of times we, I think most women that I, I, when I think about like people being a lot of times, doctors especially are comparing this to like BMI. And I think the BMI scale it kind of is crap, but also probably needs 10 to 15 pounds added to every single increment. I typically see that like 10 to 20 pounds is where most people just like want to lose it so bad. But if they just kind of like sat with it and accepted it, their body functions so well. And so a lot of times I think if we could normalize this extra 10, 15, even 20 pounds, then like 
we would be fine and we wouldn't even want to lose weight because we feel so good. Um, so I think there's an important thing too, to remember, like, are you, you know, really just kind of hyper-focused on this vanity weight because you've been told, or you feel like you need to be size X, Y, Z or weigh X, Y, Z to be quote unquote healthy. Or do you have some extra weight that, you know, really is a symptom of an underlying dysfunction that we need to tackle first. And the hardest piece of that is how long the healing process takes and how much consistency it requires that a lot of times people feel like I did this to fix my hormones, but the weight didn't go anywhere. And I tell them a lot, like stay consistent, trust your body. It will, but sometimes it takes a year. Sometimes it takes two years. And that sounds like a lot in the grand scheme of things. It's not though. Um, so I think, and, and that was my journey. I mean, I, had I gained a lot of weight to heal and I went through time periods where I would try to lose it or like it almost like backtracked and slowed down the process in general. And one thing I would have told myself or told anybody going through the journey is like, just kind of put your head down and trust your body and like keep staying consistent and go. And when I did that, exactly what I had been told by so many people before me happened where one day what I felt like was extra weight was just kind of gone. And now my body just sits in this really great place where it feels good and it's comfortable and I don't have to be obsessed with food and, and it it's normalized. Yeah. Yeah. We we've talked a lot about weight being, everybody wants to blame weight for the world's health problems, but in it, it, for a lot, for majority of people and it doesn't, you know, either way, like, it's fine. But for a lot of people, weight is a symptom. It's not it's not the problem. It's not causing X, Y and Z problem. It's not causing your hormonal problems. It's a symptom of it. Potentially, potentially not. Right. Potentially, you could be totally fine. And you're just really focused on the last five pounds because diet culture told you you need to lose that. and Your stomach needs to be super flat or whatever. But for a lot of women, we are we're not anti weight loss here. Right. For a lot of women, that's the struggle is like, they know something is off. And so, but then they get so, you know, doctors, everybody focuses on the weight as the solution and it's not, it's a symptom. And so let's focus on health. Let's not, what, what, how would your life change if you focused on what makes you feel good, what actually manages your stress and makes you feel better? Because a lot, most women increase their stress within the process of thinking, you know, their body's horrible and they hate it and they need to lose weight. So what would happen if you stopped focusing on weight loss and started focusing on health? And I love that. Um, so uh, before we jump into questions, what kind of things impact like our periods, specifically length of cycle and whether or not it comes each month? Because the questions that we have are really, we got a lot about, well, gosh, th- this phase is long or this phase is short or am I ovulating? So what are the things that on a monthly basis impact our cycle? Yeah. So you kind of hit the nail on the head there with ovulation. That's like one of the biggest pieces. Um, so when we think about like, okay, the length of our cycle, like what's determining that you really have two phases of your period. You have the phase what we call follicular phase, which is where your body is preparing the egg for ovulation. Then you have ovulation, hopefully. And then you have the luteal phase, which is where that egg is the um, like little package it came in is creating a really nice comfy home for potentially conception or baby if the egg gets fertilized, right? So you've got these two phases. And when we think about, you know, what's determining cycle length, we really want to look at 
which phase um, are we potentially talking about? So you can have a lengthening of your cycle or shortening of your cycle based off of each of those phases. And this is why it's really important. I tell people a lot when they're tracking their period to actually track ovulation because if you have a short period, but you're ovulating on time, that tells us something different than if you have a short period and you didn't ovulate at all. Or if you have a short period and you ovulated really, really early. So that's kind of how we can figure out like what are the specific things going on that are impacting your cycle. But in general, when we look at those things, we're thinking about how well is your brain sending signals to your ovaries. Once that signal gets there, do you have the components to make the right amount of hormones in the right balance to get ovulation to happen? And then we think about once ovulation has happened, how has the progesterone that came from that egg, um, how long is it lasting? How well is it working? Is there a deficiency there? And that's kind of that second half of the picture. Um, so the big things are, is your brain sending the signal? Is your ovary, does it have everything it needs to do the big event, which is ovulation? Does it have everything it needs to make that happen? And then once it happens, is there anything disrupting your body's ability to keep that lining in place, keep it good and comfy until um, really 14 days when it gets the signal of, hey, there's no fertilization, we can start shedding. And the shedding of that lining is your actual period coming. Um and so when you think of it in like those three categories, there's obviously things that influence each of those. Um, so then we start thinking about stress levels and thyroid function. And this is where the um, hypothalamus pituitary axis, HPA axis comes into play. This is where things like our estrogen and progesterone levels come into play. And then this is where, you know, if we have more um, like ovulation based issues like PCOS, where um, we think about are there other hormones that aren't staying in balance the right way, like our testosterone. Okay, this question is from Marley. She says, what are root causes for long cycles and what can we do about them? My cycles are about 35 to 40 days. I have pretty intense PMS symptoms all the way from ovulation to menstruation. Yeah, so... When we think about root causes for long cycles, again, we want to know when are you ovulating? So are you having a really long follicular phase, meaning you are having your period and then you're not ovulating for like 20, 30 days, right? Um, if that's the case, then we start thinking about issues with androgen levels. So this is kind of where this PCOS spectrum comes into play. So is your body, you know, struggling to basically break down and convert your androgens like testosterone into estrogen and the needed hormones to ovulate on time. This is where we start looking at, do you have a lot of, um, you know, stress signals or inflammation, kind of like what is causing that delay in ovulation? If she's ovulating on time and then she's just having a really long phase until her period starts. This is really actually uncommon. We don't see this a whole lot. Um, but if, if that's the case, then we would want to look at things like prolactin levels and if she actually did ovulate. Because a lot of times when we see that our cycles are lasting, you know, 35, 40 days, it's that issue with 
how long is it taking to get to ovulation? Um, and what makes me think that it's probably, that's probably what's happening for her is that she mentioned her pretty intense PMS symptoms all the way from ovulation to menstruation. So what that means after we ovulate, Basically, our estrogen levels should decrease and progesterone should take over. Progesterone is our hormone that really helps to mitigate PMS symptoms. It's our hormone that gives us relaxation. It helps with our brain function. It helps keep estrogen levels from being way too high. And usually when someone has really intense PMS symptoms, we're thinking, okay, there's something going on with estrogen here. And it's not always that your body's just making too much estrogen. A lot of times it's that you don't have enough progesterone to keep that estrogen from calling the shots. Um, so I would first want to, you know, figure out for her, like, when is ovulation happening? And then does she have any other signs or symptoms of high estrogen activity, which she kind of indicated she does with that PMS all the way from ovulation until menstruation. And so what we would really want to focus on for her is how can we boost her progesterone activity, her progesterone levels, um, and really help to get that excess estrogen out of her body um, so that it's not calling the shots for too long. Hmm. Okay. Uh, the question on everyone's mind, this is from Jody. She says, why do I get insomnia before my period and how do I fix it? This is so yeah. annoying. Yeah, yeah. Um, so annoying. I went through this for so long and I, it took me a while. So I think like she's already onto something that she even knows it's happening right before her period. Because a lot of times if we're not tracking ovulation or really like tracking our cycles well we just think like okay I get occasional insomnia but and that's what I thought until I started tracking it and then I was like oh this is happening like every 25 24 23 um of my cycle day and so this is really really common with progesterone levels dropping and dropping too quickly so if you don't have adequate progesterone which is that hormone that kind of comes in the second half of your cycle from ovulation until your period starts then you kind of can float with these low levels and because progesterone is our relaxation hormone it, it really helps facilitate things like sleep and turning down our cortisol or fight or flight system. And so a big thing that I see happen, you know, is that we kind of can have some poor habits around sleep. And so I loved your um, sharing your experience about the blue block blocking glasses and lights and stuff, because a lot of times like our body does really well at helping us through some of these habits, like being on our phones late at night or watching TV late at night or whatever. But then when we get to a part of our cycle where we don't have enough um, progesterone to kind of keep those cortisol levels down, those same habits create more of an impact than they did before. And so a lot of times um, we think about, okay, how can we, again, support your body to have more progesterone, for that progesterone to be really robust with every egg, every time you ovulate? And then how can we, alongside the progesterone, which is going to help lower those cortisol levels, how can we support you specifically working on habits and patterns that will lower stress hormones in general? Anytime someone talks to me about insomnia, like overall, I start thinking stress 
um, signals, stress hormone levels. I start looking at cortisol patterns and I start thinking about blood sugar regulation. And so sometimes looking at your insomnia can kind of give you some clues. So typically if you're waking up at 4 a.m., like every morning and you're just having a difficult time going to sleep, that's almost always a progesterone um, cortisol issue. And then if you're someone that's just like wired and tired, you're so exhausted, but you just can't sleep at night, that's usually an issue with either cortisol patterns or um, just high stress hormone activation. And when I talk about cortisol patterns, what I mean there is that our body is supposed to have highest our highest levels of cortisol right when we wake up first thing in the morning. And then they're supposed to slowly fade off through the rest of the day. What I see happen most often was with women is that we drink stimulants and kind of skip breakfast. And we do a lot of things that raise our cortisol signals first thing in the morning. Um, but it's actually this missed pattern where let's say you're drinking coffee, your body gets this signal that says, Hey, you're giving me something that increases cortisol every morning. So I'm not going to make as much. So it doesn't make as much. Then you metabolize through your coffee. It wears off. And at like six hours later, you're having energy crashes and you feel like totally exhausted. Your body gets that signal and says like, oh no, she needs cortisol. We didn't have enough. We didn't make enough this morning to last us all day. So you kind of get this like, quote unquote, second win, second curve. And you have to wait for that to go through the whole process before your levels will get low enough for you to be able to, you know, send adequate sleep signals and signal melatonin. Um, this is the same reason why if you're up late at night, you know, you may have like a window where like you're super, retired from seven to eight and then you just pull through and you like watch tv and get on your computer or whatever and then come 11 your brain's racing and you're so exhausted but you can't go to sleep that's another cortisol miss pattern because what happened was your cortisol levels dipped your body got the signal hey we should be like preparing for bed you gave it an opposite signal of like no 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 no, no. you need to be like making more of this we've got a lot to do and now you have to wait for that new cortisol basically to metabolize and fade off and get to low enough levels for you to go to sleep. When we, besides the normal, like, you know, wear your night glasses and go to sleep earlier and all that stuff, like to help prepare your sleep. And also we've talked a lot about getting up with the sun, looking at the sun when you wake up, just kind of re-regulate. Do you also have like supplements and stuff that are adaptogens or anything like that, that you recommend for like when you have a client that have cortisol issues or dealing with like this sleep struggle before, you know, or yeah. right before their period starts. Yeah. So the first thing that I typically recommend is really making sure that your body is getting out of a state of flight or flight. So I use nutrition a lot for these things. So are you eating enough? Is your body, does your body have enough minerals, electrolytes and hormone building blocks? So we're thinking things like healthy fats, um, that's usually a big issue with progesterone production. Are you getting enough antioxidants to help that egg quality be really robust and have a lot of progesterone there to last you the rest of the month? Um, when it comes to supplements, I don't typically recommend that people supplement with like progesterone 
creams or pills or whatever, unless you're working with a practitioner, it's really specific to something like typically a pregnancy issue. Um, and that's because it's your body works in these feedback patterns where if you start giving your body progesterone, then it's going to start making less because it's thinking, how can I be more efficient? Um, so when it comes to things like supplements, I typically will, you know, recommend things like you mentioned, like adaptogen that will help lower the cortisol levels or things that are, you know, really essential for hormone building blocks. So things like vitamin E is, um, can be really beneficial in helping your body make more progesterone. Things like, um, magnesium glycinate or three and eight is really great for just helping turn down that neurological kind of like cortisol driven fight or flight response. Um, you want to make sure that you're getting, adequate B vitamins. And I really actually like using whole food sources for that um, to support the liver because the liver is doing a lot of work at night. It's a really, really important piece of having enough progesterone and getting extra estrogen out. Um, so that can be through something like um, an organ complex or um, beef liver capsules or something like that. Those are really great sources of your B vitamins, vitamin A, copper, these like kind of small minerals and, and electrolytes and things that we may forget about that your body needs to make really adequate levels of progesterone. And then the other thing I'll recommend sometimes is melatonin, especially in someone that has PCOS or is on a PCOS type spectrum. Um, I, I typically, they, we usually, we've seen in studies that melatonin levels are naturally lower in people that have longer um, or more issues with kind of the PCOS symptoms and I want to call it like a triad, but I call it a spectrum because you don't always have a diagnosis of PCOS, but you can still exhibit some of those symptoms. And we see that melatonin can be really helpful in that as well. Got it. Uh, this is from Katie. She says, how do we maximize the progesterone we get during the luteal phase? This is kind of almost a perfect follow-up to the PMS issue. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I feel like it sounds a little basic, <laughs> um, but it's really things that make a huge difference. So balancing your meals and your blood sugar, not skipping meals, trying to remove things that are big triggers for cortisol production. So that is, you know, things like stimulants like coffee and caffeine um, or really stimulants in general. It's really important to help stabilize and kind of support your metabolism too. So I really encourage people to eat within an hour of waking up. So that way their body gets the signal that it can make that really great cortisol curve, as well as, you know, making good levels of all your hormones. One of the reasons that progesterone levels are really chronically and, and kind of commonly low in women is because progesterone's job is to control cortisol and to um, essentially help us relax and keep those stress hormones low. So when it comes to why we don't have enough progesterone, it's usually because our body's getting a signal that says stress hormones need to be high. And when it gets that signal, it starts decreasing progesterone production. And that's in an effort to keep you safe, to keep you alive. But it also makes you feel really crappy because then you don't have enough progesterone, right? So mm -hmm. a lot of the habits and the things you can utilize to support progesterone really focuses on two areas, lowering stress and giving your body everything it needs to make progesterone. Um, so that's where we look at our 
you know, are you giving your body enough calories? Are you giving your body enough healthy fats? Are you eating mineral dense foods that are going to help stabilize blood sugar? The reason we talk about stabilizing blood sugar with progesterone is because when your blood sugar is kind of all over the place, like you're skipping meals. So then it's really low and then you eat like a really big meal. So it gets high and then you just grab like an apple, a candy bar, and some goldfish on the way out, that might spike it too. Those, every time that happens, it sends a signal to your brain that says, hey, things are really stressful. We don't have a great source of nutrients. And so then your 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 brain tells your ovaries and, and your body, your hormone kind of signals like, hey, don't make as much progesterone because we're going to need these cortisol levels and progesterone is going to drop them a little bit. Um So those are some of the really big things. So eating enough, eating a lot, intentionally lowering stress and lowering stress signals, um, and then making sure really that you are prioritizing your own like rest and self-care. And that's why it feels really basic, but these things make a really big difference in making sure that you are sending your body a signal that says you're safe. You don't need a ton of stress hormones. I'm giving you everything you need to really function well and to optimize your reproductive hormones, which are the estrogen and the progesterone that you need to feel really good all month. Before we have a few questions specifically about PCOS, what is the difference between PMS and PMDD? And what is the switch that would turn somebody's symptoms from you know, the normal PMS situation to all of a sudden dealing with PMDD? Yeah. So when we think like clinically in terms of a diagnosis between PMS and PMDD, the biggest differences is that PMDD, um, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder, typically, which is kind of what a lot of people will describe as the more severe form of PMS, we usually see that it has a lot more mood and behavioral symptoms. Um, They'll also say like when you're screening to get an actual diagnosis, they look at, are you having difficulty conducting everyday activities and is it impairing relationships? Um, That's kind of one of the big things that differentiates between one or the other to have either PMS or PMDD, the physician who, you know, you're working with will really be looking at, are you having both physical symptoms and behavioral symptoms? And what kind of pushes you closer to that PMDD is more mood and behavioral symptoms and that they're impacting your daily life and your relationships kind of in a more intense level. Um, And, you know, that's still a really, subjective type diagnosis. So that is why it's so important to be really, you know, honest with your provider and your physicians and your healthcare team about what you're experiencing and what's going on and how you're really feeling during that time of the month. Um, They also want to see that it's happening at least two consecutive cycles within like seven to 10 days before your period starts. Um, Oh, you asked me another part of that question though. So that's kind of the difference there between what each of them are. How, I mean, would you treat PMDD any differently than PMS? I'm assuming it's still, you have to figure out, like you you said, one of the three issues and it potentially could be some sort of progesterone too low, estrogen too high in that second half of the cycle when you're experiencing the PMDD. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially 
I believe that they both have the same root cause. I think the difference there, again, is on severity. So a lot of times we think about like, how long has kind of the imbalance or the disruption been happening and how severe is it getting? Because your body, a lot of times our hormones work on a spectrum and your body's really good at compensating and adjusting and figuring out how to make you, you know, stay alive basically, but also feel as comfortable as it can. And so sometimes, you know, it may start as mild PMS and then get worse and worse. And then if we don't ever do anything to really address that root cause, that imbalance, then something, any added stress, any added, you know, situation that furthers that imbalance can kind of push you into the next realm, which would be the PMDD. And so the big differences here are, you know, a lot of times with PMDD, we are at a point where it is severe enough that you are having this difficulty with relationships and activities and like potentially feeling, you know, really, I don't want to say dangerous, but like feeling like you, you are in dire need of some support to be able to even address what needs to be healed. And so that's a case where I definitely recommend, you know, integrating with your physicians and possibly looking at, do you need a medication that can help you, that can support you through this while you are addressing the root cause? And I think that's the difference that gets missed is that, Typically, we get prescribed something that will, quote unquote, fix the problem, but then we're not ever told what to do to actually fix the problem. So now we're just completely dependent on typically an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety medication that we take either every day or just the second half of our cycle, which also doesn't make a ton of sense when you think about pharmacology, but we won't go there. <laughs> but um, Essentially that that's the problem is that we're not told like, okay, well, we see that this is the problem. We see this is what's happening here. It's something you can utilize to kind of help you to actually, I mean, band-aids are good. We need band-aids sometime to facilitate healing. But the problem is we never go through how do we facilitate that healing problem. And a lot of times with PMS and PMDD, it's exactly what you described. It's, Mm. you know, an overactivity of estrogen. Typically it's too low. Um, progesterone. When we think about like PMS and PMDD in general, a lot of times what PMS really is, is just your body's physiological and behavioral response to hormone levels changing and hormone levels changing pretty rapidly rather than like slowly adjusting and declining and kind of like carrying us through a normal cycle. So then when we think about, well, why would that happen? A lot of times it's because we don't have these balanced ratios of estrogen, progesterone, and our, you know, cortisol levels are usually calling the shots there. And so that's why if you go after, okay, how can I help support my body to make more progesterone, to lower stress hormones, to get excess estrogen out while also, you know, utilizing a medication if I need to in the interim, you now have a plan to essentially be able to come off of this medication and truly use it like a Band-Aid that helped you facilitate healing so that you end up healed rather than you end up dependent on this new Band-Aid that isn't really fixing the problem. Yeah. Okay. So PCOS, um, this is a big question, but I think it's important to kind of create a foundation 
for how to heal PCOS. Um, how does PCOS impact gut health and what can we do about it? Yeah. So <laughs> I think an important thing to remember with PCOS, um, I've mentioned it a couple times, but I truly view it as a spectrum. Um, and a lot of people talk about, you know, well, there's all these types of PCOS and they come from either being on birth control or having too much inflammation or having insulin resistance or having adrenal issues. The thing is that all of those sources and influences of your PCOS type interact with each other and they all kind of cause each other too. So it's really hard to just say like, oh, well, you know, your gut health and PCOS are only impacted if you have insulin resistance. Well, that's not the case because if your adrenals are messed up, then typically we see insulin resistance show up. So it really is all kind of interconnected. Um, but the big piece is we know things that drive PCOS are um, inflammation, which if you are experiencing issues with your gut health, there's typically some type of inflammation happening because you've either got an overgrowth of certain bacteria or we're seeing um, possibly some issues with thyroid function or immune function or pathogens or parasites or yeast. Like these are all things that can influence inflammation in our body, which can further drive things like insulin resistance and adrenal issues that contribute to PCOS symptoms. Um, another thing with PCOS in general is that it really is closely linked. We've talked so much about stress, but it's so closely linked to stress hormones. Um, and when we think about what role do stress hormones play on the gut, it's a pretty big one because even, you know, people, even, you know, gut practitioners, I've, I've worked with a lot of them alongside clients together. And one thing that we, you know, both come back to constantly is that you can do all the protocols to heal your gut. But if you are, if your gut environment is still one that is flooded with stress hormones and high stress levels, then you're not going to see the same type of response and healing from those protocols. Um, so that's a really important piece of it too. And then also understanding that it, you need really good gut health to absorb and break down the nutrients that your body needs to make your female hormones, your reproductive hormones in the right balance and ratios, and to also break them down in the right balance and ratio. And this happens a lot kind of like looping us a little bit back to this PMS is that sometimes when we have PMS or signs or symptoms of excess estrogen, it's not that we, our body's just making too much estrogen. Sometimes it's that our body isn't getting out the already broken down estrogen, or it's not breaking it down correctly. Um, estrogen gets broken down into three forms. And if your body is breaking it down into a more, what we call like the bad form, um, then that definitely influences things like PCOS and estrogen progesterone balance and PMS as well. So gut health really is playing a role because it's kind of your first stop for all hormone processes for your hormones to be made and for your hormones to get broken down and removed. And so when you are having a hard time getting out this excess estrogen, it usually causes you to have lower progesterone levels. And we usually see some reabsorption there of both 
estrogen and toxins. And those that reabsorption of toxins can contribute to inflammation, which takes us full circle to how it all kind of inner loops together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I felt bad. I was like, Ooh, this is, again, another question that could be a whole podcast. And I, I always want to give you enough time to answer it but i i i you know it was a great well summarized um and i think it really it, i mean it, understanding the hormone the hormone gut connection is just it's yeah. a lot in general but i think it does speak to the fact that hormones and our gut are intertwined and stress yeah. is like circles it um yeah and so exactly. that's why you talk so much about stress it, you have to you know that it's it's all interconnected with pcos what are you talk about the spectrum and we're going to talk about um i want to clear up some myths about diet and then we'll finish off with facial hair but with yeah. pcos you talk about the spectrum what what's is is wherever you're on the spectrum is it the same sort of root causes or does everybody who has PCOS has their their own specific root cause? That's yeah, that's hard. <laughs> Sorry, Noel. Um so essentially I believe that so so being that I feel like so being that it's a spectrum, if we thought of it almost like a Venn diagram um, where like you have adrenal issues, you have birth control, you have high inflammation and you have, um, insulin resistance kind of like intertwining. I feel like some people would have like more of their circle being in the insulin resistance and maybe a little bit in inflammation. And then there's some people that are going to have a ton in the post birth control and a little bit in the adrenals and a little in the inf inflammation. Um, so I truly believe that, a root cause for PCOS is pretty individualized because I think that you may have a bigger or a, like a bigger amount coming from one thing versus the other. And I think that all of this plays a role. Like we think about genetics playing a role in this. When you think of things like um, mutations and things like the MTHFR and the COMT genes, right. because they can influence PCOS as well as we think about environment and some people's environment and daily lives are providing like a ton of stress or they have a lot of inflammation markers and they may also be on birth control, but they may not be showing a ton of signs to insulin resistance yet. <laughs> Typically if you're on birth control, insulin resistance is coming. Um, but I, I really do think that understanding more of your root cause is really helpful in understanding what can be the places you focus on to get the biggest bang for your buck. But I also feel like we have these foundational like 10 to 12 steps, kind of this method, which is how I teach it in my programs, that regardless of where you fall in that spectrum, doing these basic foundational pieces are going to support you and support your PCOS symptoms. And when I say support your PCOS symptoms, I really mean they're going to help your body rebalance and re-regulate levels so that we are lowering inflammation. We're supporting your adrenals. We're supporting your body to re-regulate and re-establish insulin relationships. Um, really the only one that requires like a pretty specific understanding of is how far are you sitting in the adrenal area and how far are you sitting or are you still on birth control or are you kind of post birth control at that point? Um, 
but those are some of the big, I, I guess that's kind of my overall, like overarching picture when it comes to what is driving your PCOS. We kind of know it's, it's one of those four areas, mm-hmm. but you may bring to the picture a different breakdown of how much each of those areas is contributing to your symptoms. And a lot of times your symptoms can tell us which one of those is playing a bigger role. Yeah. So do people who are struggling with PCOS, do they need to eat vegan or gluten-free or dairy-free or whatever, flavor-free? Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, So my answer is a big fat no. Um, And there's a couple reasons for that. Number one is that they need to eat in a way that's sustainable for them and that they can be consistent because inconsistency is a huge stressor. And we know that stress is this huge like umbrella that's in company, um, encompassing all of the hormone imbalances and disorders we've talked about today, right? So that's really important. The other thing is, and this is again what I kind of teach my my the women I work with, my clients, is that you want to eat in a way, whether it's vegan or dairy-free or gluten-free or regular that helps stabilize your blood sugar, that lowers stress hormones, that can support your adrenals, that lowers inflammation. If you can hit those areas, it doesn't matter if you're vegan or vegetarian or dairy-free or gluten-free or whatever. Um, What does matter with some of those choices is are you getting enough of those hormone building blocks? So sometimes it's really hard if you're eating a vegan diet it's a little harder to stabilize blood sugar. It's a little harder to make sure you're getting a lot of those hormone building blocks, but it's not impossible. You can do it. Um, but are if you're feeling like, oh, I need to be vegan to fix my PCOS. No. Are you, if you're feeling like I need to not eat gluten or dairy, even to lower inflammation, sometimes, I, I mean, I really actually say no to that too. <laughs> um, there's definitely inflammation prone foods, but a lot of times they're not just gluten and just dairy. Um, a lot of times they're more like processed foods that have a lot of polyunsaturated fatty acids, like things mm-hmm. like that, that kind of are going to give you more bang for your buck than just deciding to cut out all gluten and all dairy. Could you reduce them and maybe feel a little better because you're supporting your body by lowering inflammation with a lot of other things? Yeah, totally. But that's not even going to be as effective if you haven't added everything your body needs to your nutrition strategy first. So that's another big piece. We try to restrict first and we think that's going to like fix the problem. But I actually say, why don't we add everything first, like add your hormone building blocks, add your calories if you need them, Um, add, you know, additional micronutrients or fiber if you need that. And then look at how you feel. And if there's something you want to kind of not even restrict, but just lower, pull back on a little bit, then try Mm -hmm. it, see how you feel. Um, and that kind of brought me back to, I didn't even answer when you asked about gut health, what can we do about it? That's probably yeah. the biggest question. <laughs> um, and, and this kind of hits the nail on the head too, since we're talking about the nutrition is what do we do if we you know, have PCOS and we want to support our gut health and we want to eat in a way that mitigates our symptoms? Some of the big you know, things that I encourage women in is number one, eating in a way that you're getting adequate amounts of calories in general. 
eating in a way that we're stabilizing blood sugar and lowering those stress signals we get from blood sugar swings all the time, not skipping meals. That's like my number one all the time ever. Um, making sure that you're getting adequate fiber because fiber is so, so important for taking that excess estrogen I was talking about earlier and getting it out of your body. It's also really important to make sure you're having bowel movements every day because that's how everything gets out. Um, and that kind of brings us to, you know, supporting your bowels in general, which can be done through like simple whole food things that we add to our nutrition, like bone broth and collagen and things that really support that gut lining so that that lining isn't experiencing inflammation. And so it can be a really tight seal. So we're not having any food seep through and cause inflammation or toxin reabsorption or anything like that. Woo. Okay. One last question. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need a drink or anything? <laughs> okay. So what do we do with the facial hair and PCOS? A lot of people were saying, if I have excess facial hair, is it always a sign that it is some, you know, hormone imbalance? You know, how do I decrease the facial hair? So where is it coming from and what what can we do about it? Yeah. So with PCOS, a lot of times we see high androgens, which are things like testosterone and DHEA. Your body needs those as a female because your body actually converts uh, testosterone into estrogen. The problem that happens is these androgens get too high and we start seeing symptoms of high testosterone. And so that's when we see hair growth in unwanted places. That's when we see, um, issues with even like hair loss. So a lot of times with PCOS, you'll have hair growth on like your chest or your chin or your face and then hair loss in kind of a male pattern balding or male balding pattern on your hair. So like super um, just hair thinning and hair loss. So you see hair growth in unwanted places and hair loss kind of on our head where we want hair. And then other things that kind of accompany this sometimes are even like a deepening of the voice. A lot of times we see chin or jawline acne. Those are all symptoms that are being driven by high androgen or high testosterone levels. And so the very first thing you want to do is start working on getting those testosterone levels down. And the best way to do that is to start supporting your body through P PCOS symptoms by doing a lot of the things we've been talking about, going after that root cause, lowering stress, getting adequate fiber, um, helping your body get signals that say, hey, we are in a really stressful situation. We, you know, have supported our adrenals. We've addressed insulin resistance. Insulin resistance is so, so huge when it comes to high androgen levels. Um, so stabilizing your blood sugar and really working at that is going to be really helpful in getting testosterone levels back down. And then once that starts happening, you should start seeing a decrease in these testosterone symptoms. The thing is that that can take a good amount of time. Um, and unfortunately, once those hair follicles are there, they're typically there until we close them up, which is why something like electrolysis can come in and help. So what you'll see as you start addressing high testosterone is that you shouldn't be seeing any new growth, but the follicles that are already there typically just require a little extra, um, you know, support and help <laughs> to close up and not continue with that um, hair growth expanding. Mm. That's such, such a just such a joke. Like you're losing hair where you want it, and you're getting <laughs> hair where you don't want it. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, but it, it definitely makes sense though. It's a, it, it feels like that for women because we're, our body is operating on a hormone that we aren't supposed to have, you know, like we're supposed to have, but not in that high levels, um, which is, you know, the high testosterone, testosterone being too high and starting to show symptoms. So it's literally the opposite of what women who should be more dominant in estrogen are wanting to see. Interesting. Uh, Dr. Heather Rhodes, thanks so much for talking for an hour and 15 minutes and answering all of these questions so thoroughly. I so appreciate your time. Tell me where, um, you know, people can find more about you. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much, Noah. I have loved this conversation. So many good questions. Um, so I am most active over on Instagram. My handle is just at Dr. Heather Rhodes. And then I have a website you can link to from there. Um, and I love chatting. I have a Facebook community called Hormones Simplified, where we just chat about hormones and hormone symptoms and all the things. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Heather. Um, everybody. Everybody go follow her on Instagram, Dr. Heather Rhodes. She talks daily about all the things, and she's such a great resource. For more from her, we will have all the links in the show notes. So uh, she's Dr. Heather Rhodes on Instagram. I am uh, Coconuts and Kettlebells on Instagram, and you can find out more about me at coconutsandkettlebells.com. Our Facebook group is Well-Fed Women Holistic Health Community. Thanks so much for being here. We will talk to you next week. 